0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families living through childhood cancer. You'll hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will be there to encourage your family during your journey. So Chris and I have the honor of having James Ludeman with us again today. He actually agreed to come back and spend more time with us. Um, A few weeks ago on episode five, he walked us through some of the more technical things about childhood cancer. And now today we are gonna dive into James' personal story and how that led to what he does today. So James, we are so grateful that you're giving us some time today. And I kind of feel like you're the guest that has two stories in one because you've got a really interesting past story from when you were younger and then you've turned it into a really amazing story as an adult. So Chris and I do know a little bit about your past story, but Mm -hmm. let's start off for those that don't. Just tell us kind of where this whole story with you starts.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, I was diagnosed um, around age 16, right after my birthday. So it kind of starts, the story begins with, uh, I'm a 15 year old about to turn 16, uh, and I'm a Christmas Eve birthday. So, um, visiting some family that, uh, Christmas kind of weekend, um, about an hour from home and, and starting to feel pretty tired and weak and had been for a couple weeks, I guess. And so it's Sunday and raised in a good Christian household. And I was supposed to go to, to uh, youth group Sunday night. That's the way it was. And so my parents we were rolling out of my Pawpaw's house and they're like, all right, let's go to youth group. And I'm like, oh no, I'm just too tired. I don't know what this is, but like, I don't want to go to youth group. Let's just go home. My parents just kept saying, no, we've got to drop you at youth group. I'm like, why are they being so intense about this? Um, well, I was about to turn 16. It turns out they were throwing a surprise 16th birthday party for me. And so in the midst of not knowing at the time that I was um, getting ready to Find out this this big thing. Uh, I'm being forced to go to youth group, and I show up, and it's a surprise birthday party. And I, that's just a big thing I remember because already my teenage moodiness, I think, was coming out before I even knew what my diagnosis was. But um, got there, had to you know pick myself up and put a smile on my face and act like I wasn't feeling really tired and weak and puny, and um, ended up having a good time. But within I think a week or two after that, uh, the Fatigue increases. I'm back in high school, sophomore year of high school, and can barely get up one flight of stairs without being terribly short of breath. Um, and I've lost about 30 pounds over the course of a month and just a lot of weird things happening. My arm wasn't working well. And so finally we went to the ER and my mom laid into some position there and told them we need to figure out what's going on. And uh, after a couple hours of workup, they sent us home uh, and my pediatrician called us the next day and told us that I had leukemia. They wanted me to pack a bag for the hospital and to come by the pedi- pediatrician's office to talk with them first, but that we would be admitted. So, um, that's kind of how it all started. I ended up finding out a day or two later after bone marrow biopsies that I have ALL, B cell ALL, um, and that it's considered high risk just because of my age. I was 16 and, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it all started.
0: So what do you remember, because you still are kind of young. I mean, you're a grown-up now, but, you, you know, you're not our age. So what? thinking back, what do you remember as your initial thoughts and feelings as being a newly turned 16-year-old and finding out that you just were diagnosed with cancer?
1: Yeah, I mean... Like most people would tell you, it, it's definitely like uh, a whirlwind and feels very surreal at first. I remember that initial day, hearing those words, just being very shocked and floored. It was me and my mother at home um, because I was having a day where I felt worse. Um, I remember just being astounded by her strength. She like got off the phone, told me what was up, and before we started packing anything, she just immediately prayed with me. Um, which had a huge impact on kind of my feelings the rest of the day. My father was at work, and he started making plans to come meet us, um, but we had some other support people um, in, our, in our life and from our church come meet us, and, and I just was very grateful for that. I know when we're at a pediatrician's office, the, the funny thing that I always say is the pediatrician asked me, which was great. He was directing something at me as a teenager, which I appreciated, but he said, you have leukemia, do you know what that means? And I, being the smarty pants that I was, said, well, I know it's cancer of the blood. And I said, I know that it's um, what a movie at the time that was pretty popular or whatever was A Walk to Remember. And so I said, I know it's what the girl in A Walk to Remember died from. (laughs) And he thought that was funny. It's kind of like a dark humor thing uh, at the beginning, but that's literally all I really knew about it at the time. And so um, I think my initial feelings were surreal, um, and then as things developed over the next week, uh, I got a little bit more um, scared and anxious, um, but I had great people surrounding me, encouraging me, and praying for me, so um, it, it wasn't as, um, as drastic or, or scary as it could be for others, I'm sure.
0: Did you know what how long did it take you to really have it set in what that treatment was going to entail like did you have a good understanding at first or did you kind of find out in stages did you know this oh gosh this is three years what was your understanding at first Oh no,
1: yeah i i definitely didn't have a great understanding at the beginning i um like i said those were the two main things i knew and so going into the hospital you know we were told to have our bags ready and we went straight in and I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina at the time. So we went straight into Wake Forest, uh, Brenner's children's hospital Wake Forest medical center. And um, that first week it was intense and there was a lot going on procedures, lumbar puncture, that stuff. But I, I still thought what I was hearing because I was only probably listening to what I wanted to listen to was four weeks, four weeks. We're going to do four weeks. And, and what I know now as um, an adult and someone who works in the oncology space uh, as an oncology nurse, uh, that four weeks was just induction, as what we call induction, just to get the disease into remission. And so I think, I don't know how much I really dwelled on how long the process was going to be, but I definitely did not know it was going to be, you know, close to three years. And so I got through that first month um, and thought that I was, you know, progressing towards an endpoint. And when I found out that I wasn't, um, another big part of my timeline that still sticks out here, what um, 17 years later is that on that day when we're moving from induction to consolidation, uh, families that have been through ALL treatment will know these terms. Um, when I heard and saw they actually printed out my roadmaps for the rest of the tr- treatment um, that it was going to be two and a half years, uh, I started seething in the office. I didn't let the doctors and nurses know, but I was very upset and uh, told my parents so afterwards. And so here I am having lost 30 pounds or more, being very pale and weak. And it's what, February. Now I tell my parents when I get home that I need to be left alone and I'm going to go chop some wood in the backyard. And God bless them, I think they knew that I needed a moment. And so they actually let this little weakling of a guy go back there and pretend that he had the ability to chop wood out of his anger. But yeah, when i set in, it was definitely the hardest day or one of the hardest days through the whole treatment was not realizing that I had a long ways to go.
2: Wow. James, talk about, because that was just the initial, right? The first, first four weeks, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. Yeah. But talk about just in general as a teenager, right? Going through this, obviously right after your birthday and, and getting all this news, but now you're doing this for the next three years. Let's talk about what were some of the challenges to go through the next three years now as a teenager. What were some of the things you experienced?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So there's a lot of different things that come up in the mind of a teenager. I think uh, one of the big things that happens, and I know from personal experience going through it and now on the other side, is you're starting to develop your sense of independence and your sense of, Um, you know, identity separate from your family unit or your parents or however you grew up, you know, you're starting to think of yourself as you and not you plus all these other people necessarily. And so um, that was a really um, difficult thing to, in the midst of that, when you're wanting to be a very um, kind of self-focused, but self-focused in a good way, like who are you going to become? What kind of an adult will you be? What are your plans? Instead, of getting to do that, like all your peers around you, that almost feels like it has to freeze or it has to at least delay. And you've got to focus on just survival or just um, dealing with what you're facing. And so um, that was, that was particularly hard. uh, Looking at peers around me who are getting to continue with certain milestones and I don't feel like I am, you know, I had started what I would consider, you know, quote unquote, my first little relationship, I guess um, that, fall maybe of sophomore year, uh, dating a girl in high school. And so you're starting to be excited about what that's going to look like. And, oh, I'm supposed to be getting my driver's license. And like I said, I was supposed to get it, you know, like in late December, early January, but now my right arm isn't working right due to the leukemia. And, um, I don't get to go and sit for my driver's test until several months later. Um, so something as small as that is a big deal or, um, this relationship that I started with this girl, you know, now how is that going to look different? Is she going to know how to react to somebody who's going through chemo? Uh, she didn't. And, you know, I would never hold it against her, but we broke up very shortly after, um, my treatment started understandably. Um, it was just a hard time to be thinking about stuff like that. Um, she was still a really great friend, but you know, all those things change, um, when you're going through something like this, or or they at least have the opportunity to, um, I think those are the big things just like, typical teenage milestones like dating or future planning or whatever, and then seeing your peers around you still doing those things uh, and either being jealous or seeing them do things that now you might consider, it sounds horrible, but you might consider them unimportant or petty because of what you're going through. And you don't do that in a judgmental way. You don't fault them for caring about what so-and-so said about them or whatever, but it's just on a completely different level with what you're dealing with, or what maybe some of your friends who are going through treatment who you now have added to your sphere what they're going through, and so um being forced to think um like an adult and um very quickly but still also wanting to be a kid or a teenager it's just a very unique space for sure,
2: yeah, I can imagine the you know, the, just a lot of the traditional milestones that you would experience as a teenager losing those, that definitely affects just your thought process, your perspective, and, and just your whole high school experience. Did you have, like, to talk about just your community of friends. How did friends respond?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so at this time, I was um, attending a, a Christian school. My mom had gone back to work um, Right when I started middle school, uh, she had been home with us for a while, but she's a, a high school math teacher. And so she started working at a local Christian school in Highport, North Carolina. And so I had been at this Christian school for five or six years at this point. Um, that was a big uh, source of friends and connections for me. Um, and then also, uh, just as much or maybe even more so my, my youth group at the Methodist church we were involved in in Greensboro. And so, um, I had great support, like, I think you'll hear from a lot of people who go through cancer treatment or any sort of serious illness. You, you know, that people care about you and love you, but you don't ever see it, um, like in a visceral way, uh, or you don't see it as real. I don't think, uh, until you go through something like this and this, your community just gathers around you It's a really beautiful thing to see. Um, you know, my parents, friends gather around them and support them Um, because, you know, I wasn't thinking about how they were being affected by it. I was a selfish teenager thinking about me, so that was really cool. But my friend groups were definitely from those two eras or those two spheres mostly, and I had two really close buddies who are still really close buddies, um, Jason and John Michael, and um, they were uh, friends from youth group. Um, Very quickly after treatment started, they wanted to shave their heads with me. My older brother did the same thing. So I had a big, like, head-shaving thing at school, and I th- or at uh, youth group, and I think that that video still lives out there somewhere
2: with some rock music played behind it. Um, so, James, would you say that that, that community, uh, whether it was youth group or even just friends through school, is that really the the thing that got you through as a teenager through that season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say that those friends, um, plus my parents and brother and sister for sure, um, got me through. And then the background that I had, um, being raised, uh, in my Christian faith and, and just the, the blessing that, um, those people, um, had built that up in me, um, whether it was my parents, uh, you know, showing me the importance of a personal, uh, faith with, with Jesus um, and a relationship with Him and reading the Bible and prayer, or if it was being modeled that at youth group by um, older peers or my youth pastor, um, or uh, having buddies that understood uh, what I was going through. So that's what got me through Is those people and those people's um, investment in my spiritual walk,
2: for sure. That's great.
0: So James, that journey that you went through, I guess you said 17 years ago, is that how long you've been off treatment?
2: Yeah, it's
1: 2003, January 2003, yep, so just over 17 years.
0: So 17 years ago when you went through that, it kind of like, it obviously shaped your entire life because it led to a whole career path for you. So talk a little bit about when you realized that this was something you wanted to kind of stay in this world and what that looked like for you.
1: Yeah, um, so I think that prior to going through leukemia, um, I had an inkling that I, that I wanted to go into the medical field. It's kind of odd that I did, because it's not anything that anyone in my family had done, um, but I was definitely interested in biology and um, anatomy and things like that, and I, and I thought I'd probably end up looking to medical school or something like that. Um, but once I was diagnosed sophomore year, uh, and started treatment, I really appreciated my physicians at Brenner's. They were great people, um, funny, kind, caring, but physicians are busy and and I'm so thankful for all of their training and their skill and their kindness with my family. But the people that we really built relationships with were our nurses and nurse practitioners. Um I had a particular nurse on night shift inpatient who was my rock when I would come in and she would joke with me and stay up late with me as the teenager and hang out. And I had a particular nurse, um, on inpatient. Um, but most of my care was done in the outpatient world. And so there were two nurse practitioners at Brenner's, um, named Diane and Debbie. And then there was a registered nurse there, Nancy. And, um, I've come full circle lately and traded some emails with Nancy um, as uh, colleagues, which is really crazy. And I got to uh, just tell her how important she was. But some point during my treatment, I would say it was probably not even the first six months, but maybe into the fall of 2003. Um, after getting through those first and six months, I'm starting to realize, you know, this is difficult, but I have learned how much it's changing me and my character and the importance um, of what God is teaching me. And I could see Him calling me or maybe showing me this is a a place that you could work in, James. This is um, a population that you could impact because not only have you been through it, but you've seen, you've been old enough to understand it and to um, see the importance of um, a spiritual walk or see the importance of following treatment closely or not following it closely, which is one of my other stories. Um, So yeah, it was somewhere around six months to a year in, I realized, you know nursing is is the field that i'm drawn to the the education the uh how specific and and how skillful you have to be as a nurse to deliver care but also um how you get to build relationships with your patients and care for them um, I feel like it's something God had designed me to do and so by the end of high school for sure when I was looking at colleges I was looking only at places that had good nursing programs and um, the goal being to move into oncology nursing in particular
2: James what was it with those three nurses are there any specific characteristics that just stood out to you that really drew you in and, and shaped you
1: um, the the things that stick with you oddly enough are you know i wasn't trained in oncology or anything at the time so i wasn't you know paying attention to how great they were at, at getting their chemo together or doing a lumbar puncture or whatever i was paying attention to their demeanor and their kindness and and just simple human caring things um they were funny they were laid back with me i think uh you know they had probably been working with a lot of sick people and i was sick but i wasn't uh you know i i don't have the story where i was um in, admitted a lot or very very sick and so i think they i don't know it just felt like they almost let their guard down with me and just came in there to hang out with me and oh by the way this is where we are in your treatment james and uh we're going to do this today so it was like they gave me the license to feel like a normal teenager, even with them, someone who wasn't in my generation or wasn't a buddy, but we got to act like we were buddies. It was really cool. There was one instance where I think I was in either AP biology or anatomy, uh, junior or senior year. and. I had to do some sort of project and I said could I come in and have my brother videotape the lumbar puncture and they just got a kick out of that and they loved it and I think if somebody asked me now if they wanted to videotape me doing something as uh, intense or as important as that I would feel very nervous but I don't remember them ever being that way and um, they let my brother make jokes and, and stuff while he was videoing it and I don't know, but I think that's the main thing I think of is that they were incredibly skillful. They knew what they were doing, and they, but they were caring for me as a person, as a teenager by making it relax and
2: making it fun. They sound amazing.
0: Imagine how Nancy must, yeah. her name was Nancy, the one that you got to circle back around with. Yeah. Imagine what that is like to get mm-hmm. an email from somebody that you treated 17 years ago that not only just thanks you and tells you all these great things, but that you inspired their entire career path. Like that is, yeah. that's an email not everybody gets in their life. I think that's such a gift that you were able to do it and that she was able to get an email like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they sound incredible. You're fortunate. Um, and I think a lot of, like I know the kids that that, um, that we serve, a lot of the families, they often talk about how great their nurses are. Oh, yeah. It's just I love hearing those stories. So talk about now how that translates to today, James. What um, Tell us about your, your role today. What is your role in the hospital? Because it's more than just an oncology nurse, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And um, so my wife and I moved down to um, the Atlanta, Georgia area in 2016. And um, I for sure thought I, was, I had been working as an adult oncology nurse for my first seven years um, as a nurse. And so... I had interviewed at Emory University, great great facility, and I had planned that probably where I would go. But luckily, my wife had a colleague um, who was a nurse practitioner, and she heard I was flying down to interview, I think only a week before I came down to interview. And she said, well, James, as an oncology nurse needs to interview with us give me his resume i'll get it to the right people and thank god for her so i started just on the inpatient unit but now i work in this split role so they have some specialty nursing roles and the one that i heard about when i was interviewing uh, for the inpatient position was patient family educator and now it's called patient teaching coordinator Um, and it was a specialty role only existed on the inpatient units at each hospital at the time, just one nurse, uh, for 32 hours a week, but they got to focus just on teaching patients and families about their disease, their treatment, um, ways to cope, um, just all that stuff. And that was something that had developed as a passion for me when my wife and I lived, um, in New York. And even before we were married, I I loved meeting with my adult oncology patients, um, seeing their, um, anxiety and their stress uh, I didn't love seeing that but I loved being able to calm that and be able to tell them I know this is a crazy day I know that you're scared but let's talk about these two or three things that I want you to know um, going forward and next time we'll talk about more and so I really loved that and uh, so when I interviewed when I saw they had a role that was just about that I was so impressed that a hospital system would invest in that, especially for a nurse, a nurse to do that. And so um, I took the inpatient position, hoping and trusting that the Lord uh, could potentially open something like that up one day. And and then less than a year later, there was something and I interviewed. And so um, when I got to that interview, I thought it was entirely patient education. It turns out it was a split role between patient teaching coordinator and fertility preservation nurse. And so we're also blessed to have a fertility preservation program and It's um, made up of five people, and we meet with patients and families um, who are at risk or possible risk for infertility due to their cancer or blood disorders treatment. Um, We meet with them before or during or even after treatment to discuss that risk and any options they may have to preserve their future ability um, for biological children or just family building afterwards, biological or not. And so that was something I didn't know going in was going to be part of the job. It has become one of my very favorite parts of it. And it's the way that I get to meet a lot of our adolescents and young adults in the program, because we tend to focus on that age more and just there's more options for fertility preservation. So it's really increased, um, drawn me back to what I would consider my roots of oncology nursing, which is this uh, teenage age group, young adult age group gets, who I was as a patient, and it's who I'm focused on and passionate about now as a caregiver. So um, I'm really blessed with that split role, and I still work some um, infusion time as well as a clinical nurse. Hmm.
0: So, James, you mentioned fertility. Um, what are, and you mentioned that teenagers also obviously are one of your passions. Um, what are some of the other things that teenagers face that maybe the littler ones don't? have those challenges? Like what other things do you come across that you're helping these teenage patients with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I talked a bit about like as a patient, the milestones and things, um, to hit on the fertility thing, um, treatments can affect, uh, uh, have late effects, um, including infertility for all ages, but, um, teenage years is, is when uh, both girls and boys start to have the ability to pursue a standard of care, what we call a standard of care option for fertility preservation. And so that's why we focus on age group. There are things that younger patients um, could potentially hear about or look into for preserving fertility. Um, they're just not absolutely standard of care yet, and some of them are experimental. So um, I think that's something that teenagers uh, should be talked to about because they have standard of care, true options to preserve their fertility most of the time. Um, And I think some other things would be, you know, really focused on school and transition, life transition. You know, teenagers, uh, I think, deserve to have school teachers or hospital teachers who understand what it's like to be a middle school or high school kid or understand what it's like to be a kid who's going through treatment and how to support them while they're applying to colleges or maybe having to consider going to school at a a distance program or at a community college because they're still in treatment. You know, there's a lot of nuances to that. And so I think, um, teenagers that have, have great uh, teaching liaison liaisons, excuse me, um, who understand that are very important. Um, and then there's sexual health counseling. There's countless things. Um, just all about that transition to where you switch from being um, considered a child or a minor to being an adult and, and understanding whether they're still on treatment as an adult or they're a survivor. They've got to take ownership of either their past treatment or their current treatment because here they are. It's going to be on them now. And if we don't partner with them as their care providers to help them in that transition, and I really think we're setting them up for failure. And the same could be said for hematology patients, um, not just oncology. So
2: it's such a unique season for these kids because they're they're at that age where they're not they're not as much kids anymore. You know, they're making that transition. Uh, into adulthood, and uh, and you've talked about it a lot here today of uh, just the the transition to independence and uh, really taking ownership of their own journey. And so, man, it's great that they have someone like you in in the hospital to walk alongside with them, James. I got one more question for you before we wrap up today's podcast, and this one's a little bit. A little bit different, maybe a little more unique just from your perspective because you don't quite have teenagers yet. But as a teenager that went through it and, uh, and speaking to parents who are on the other side of this and do have a teenager uh, that, are, that are going through this. What are one one or two things that you can think of that you you would share? Because there's going to be some parents listening that they have someone that was just like you, your age, uh, and that's going through this. That's going to help them to, to parent their their teenager through this.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that question, um, and I I do. I'm gl- I'm glad you gave the caveat. I'm a parent, but of a two year old, so mm-hmm. I, I don't. Know uh, how to counsel a parent of a teenager, um, but uh, yeah, from the patient pr- perspective, I have a couple of things. I think the first thing I would say is um, your your teen is shocked and scared. Um, so the first thing uh, that you should always be thinking and doing is letting them know that you love them and that you are you are their champion. You're in their corner, and you're going to do whatever it takes um, to make sure that they feel comfortable and they're cared for and and just letting them know they're loved. Even if they're in that grumpy teenage preteen, whatever it may be stage and they don't want to hear it finding ways that, you know, you can communicate it, whether it's verbally or non-verbally, um, and, and whether it's elaborate and they want to hear a lot about it or just, you know, I love you, you know, whatever, find a way to make sure they know that you love them and care for them. And, um, even if they, brush it off. um, They're going to appreciate it. It's going to give them that rock solid anchor that they are looking for and that storm. And then I think the second thing I would say, the other big thing is find ways. And we've talked about it already, but find ways to give them a chance to have some freedom, some independence. If they're very, very sick of the time, there's not going to be a lot of ways to do that, but even the small things, find something that they get to choose and decide on their own, Um, and they get to feel like it was their decision, whether it's related to their treatment or their supportive care or what's for lunch or, uh, what store they're going to go to, who, what friends they're going to hang out, whatever, you know, your job is to keep them safe, but they need some feeling of independence and control in a time where a lot of that has been stolen from them and all of their peers are getting more and more of it. And they may feel like they're getting less and less. So find a way to, um, yeah, give them those opportunities and it's going to help them, uh, keep hitting some of those milestones.
2: Yeah, that's so good. Um, I know that that's, there's a, there's parents right now that are listening and they needed to hear that. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, James, thanks for sitting with Christy and I, this has been great. Uh, we've loved just getting to hear from you. I know there's so many folks that are just going to benefit from our time. So we want to just say thanks for making the time. I know you've got a busy schedule. You took uh, some time out of your day at the hospital today to sit with us. So thank you so much. We really appreciate you.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for, for investing time in this and for having me. I, I, I've loved it. Thank you.
2: We are so grateful for James and for all the nurses that care for our families and our kids so well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lighthouse Podcast. Hey, please be sure to take a minute to go out and rate and review the podcast. This is going to help families that are not familiar with Lighthouse uh, learn about what's in the podcast and then how it can help them in this season. Also, for more information about the podcast, as well as other resources we have for families, be sure to check out our website at lighthousefamilyretreat.org. And we will see you later on the next episode of the Lighthouse podcast.